0: All of us have got skin in this game, haven't we? We all want to know what happens to us when we die. It's the basis of all religions. It's the biggest question in the history of human existence. It's the thing you could start a conversation with in any home or pub or bar or bus anywhere in the world. Do ghosts exist and what happens to us after we die? It's Halloween coming
1: up, ghouls and ghosts. Now, I don't go around looking up Halloween stories um, every year. It just It just so happens that two years ago, I was speaking with my horror cartoon hero, David Firth. So we put that one out on Halloween. I don't think I did one last year. And today, it just fit too perfectly while we were talking. Because I wanted Danny on the show anyway. And I realized halfway through talking, hey, Halloween's soon. So this is the Halloween episode. And it's the paranormal polymath... The contemporary Van Helsing—it's Danny Robbins. Now, Danny Robbins is the go-to guy for ghouls and ghosts. I've already done that alliteration, haven't I? So goblins and gremlins, golems and goys, Gandalfs and Gryffindors—that took longer than you'd think to research the sort of alliterated G's there for you know, relatively uh, Halloween-related stuff. Anyway, Danny Robbins is a comedy writer, performer, and journalist. His play. is in the West End about a ghostly ghoul. Yes, that appears at 2.22 each morning, the ghostly ghoul, the ghost that comes in his play. (laughs) He's made it big in the BBC podcasting world as well with the Battersea Poltergeist series making a huge splash, as did his series Uncanny and Haunted. He's a fantastic storyteller and he talks Beautifully and brilliantly about belief and the the paranormal his latest podcast series is called the witch farm so do check that out and follow danny on twitter and all those things just look up danny robbins it's 1b and robbins i'm on those things too the social media things also follow the patreon.com slash andrew gold page to support the show now today we talk about belief a common theme on this show of course why do people believe in ghosts does danny believe in them Why do we want to believe so badly? And how do our minds trick us, particularly around the Halloween season? Coming up are some really big and surprising names, which I know I've been saying for a while, but we are waiting for lawyers and things to confirm that everything is okay to put out and go ahead. So just sit comfortably and be patient for a moment. But now you're on the edge of ghosts and paranormal belief at Halloween with Danny Robbins.
0: Danny, what is the most substantial evidence you've heard about ghosts? That is such a good question because I am confronted by inexplicable things all the time. But actually the one that's made me think the most and had the biggest impact on me is actually one of the ones that is in some ways not one of the scariest ones at all. It's an episode we did of Uncanny called My Best Friend's Ghost. And it was this woman who... Felt like she'd seen the ghost of her best friend after her best friend had died. But then the the one that really hit me was about six years after that, she went to see a medium and she was totally not somebody who was interested in seeing a medium. She'd been dragged along by friends to this town hall somewhere, medium performing. And she thought the medium was rubbish, wasn't into it at all, thought it was all fake. After the show, the medium grabbed her and said, just before you go, I've got this message from this woman. And she described her best friend exactly and then she said the exact words that her best friend had said to her before she died the last words of this woman and even as I tell you that now I feel this little shiver down my spine and it's of all the stories it's the one that sticks in my head most in a way I mean like there were scarier ones and um you know more extreme ones you know we had poltergeist things flying across the room but just this one sticks in my head because of the personal nature of it and I think I'm particularly affected by anything to do with grief in ghosts. And I think that that idea of somebody being able to come back and give a message after death to somebody they loved really affects me and speaks deeply to me. So I guess that's the one that's pushed me closest to the edge, and actually. And I find that really hard to explain that one. How did the medium know those exact words? Oh
1: my God. Well, we did do an episode with, um, and it's probably not this, but we did one about fake... Do you know that fake psychic story? I think that was also BBC. Oh, yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the podcast, yeah.
1: And they were they were all sharing information with one another with, like, a secret book, all the psychics, so that they could guess things like that. But I, I think that was just a particular time.
0: I mean, I think there's a lot of chicanery that goes on in the world of mediumship, isn't there? And, I mean, my wife actually worked uh, on Derek Acora's Ghost Towns. You know, people might know Derek Acora as the um, guy who was the psychic on Most Haunted, the popular TV show. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of stuff, I think, that was going on there. I mean, I, I remember her telling me about how he used to do these doorstep divinations where he'd turn up on the doorstep of somebody's house and go in and give them readings, you know. And the first thing he would do when he arrived at the house was to ask if he could go to the toilet. And the reason he would do that is so that he could walk through the house and clock any family photographs and work out who lived there and you know what their relationships were. Then he'd go into the bathroom and he would open the cupboards of the bathroom door. I'm guessing this, by the way. Uh, I'm assuming this is the reason. Uh, and um, <laughs> he would look for any medication. I would assume and look to see if anybody had any conditions, anything that they were ill with, and then use that, feed that into the thing. I mean, you know, this this is. Um, my assumptions and my, my sort of slightly scurrilous, uh, you know, <laughs> suppositions. But I, 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 do think that there is a lot of chicanery going on. And I, mediumship is something that really, I, I feel conflicted over because, you know, every so often, like the story I just told you, there are moments of, incredible insight where you feel like, wow, how the hell did they know that? But I've found that mostly when I've been around a medium in a situation like on a ghost hunt or whatever, that I feel quite disappointed. I feel like a lot of it is sound and fury signifying nothing. And there's not that much in the way of specific stuff. And actually, you know, when you go and see these shows in a theatre... That feels like a hell of a lot of kind of, you know, their name could begin with B or it could begin with C or, you know, like, is anybody getting a a young man who liked motorbikes or it could possibly have been cars? You know, maybe it was lawnmowers, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's throwing stuff out and it's about what you react to. And actually, there's loads of studies about, you know, when people come away from a medium feeling that they've had an incredibly... Uh, insightful, accurate experience. When you actually look at the transcript of what was said, the medium didn't actually say the things you think they said. They said something that was quite leading and then you give them the information they need to confirm it. And then you come away thinking like, wow, they knew my granddad was called John, where actually that you've given them that information during mm-hmm. the, 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 the talk, you know? <laughs> so I, I, I don't know, my, my jury's out on mediumship, but I have to say of all of the paranormal world, it's one of the bits that interests me least, I think.
1: I always get confused with juries out. So juries out means they're out deliberating. Is that what that that is? But it's not sure yet. Yeah, the
0: people who live in my head are deliberating at the moment. The 12 angry <laughs> men <laughs> who are always lodged in my head. They're not sure what to make of it. They're fighting. There's a lot of arguments. They're going, I hate oh. you. Why, why are you always <laughs> saying that about mediums? And then somebody else is going, I'm right.
1: Yeah, I know that feeling. That's how mine should be. I, I, it's an addictive feeling, having your mind sort of communicating with itself and arguing with itself.
0: Definitely. I think you should always have 12 people in your head arguing at all times.
1: I always do. <laughs> um, I've heard that. I mean, there's an, another trick the psychics was was to always ask if they're right-handed, you've got, a, you've got a scar on your right knee. And it's just that 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 amazed me because I've got a scar on my right knee. And I was like, oh, that's so good because I guess just so many people must. And if not, you can be like, oh, well, I guess it wasn't. Uh, there,
0: there are all these assumptions that, that you can make aren't there about things and like you know you could say to somebody like um you know that there's a there's a child that's really important to you in your life and even if they haven't got kids there will be some child out there who is important somewhere or other related to somebody and i th- there feels like so many kind of exit ramps you can have when you're chucking stuff out there and you make judgments about people like you know you 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 um you know you make you can make judgments about somebody of a certain age you know like you find uh a sort of woman in her early 30s let's say and, and you can say to her you know you're, you're thinking about making a, a a relationship commitment sometime soon you know you're, you're kind of you know you're thinking about getting serious in a relationship and she might say oh no I'm not seeing anyone at the moment and they're like no no but you're thinking about this you know it's in your head isn't it you're, you're thinking you're trying to find the right person you know I think there are points in our lives where there are certain truisms you know that you can land on you know and if you're in your 40s you're probably starting to worry about your health a little bit you know, if you're in your 60s, you're, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, you're starting to think about death, potentially, you know, all, all these kind of things that will hit us at certain points that mediums can latch onto.
1: I've, I found myself, you know, you said you were disappointed often by the mediums and stuff. I mean, I, I went to see Darren Brown and obviously Darren Brown is known as a mentalist who exposes a lot of this stuff. And he says, I'm not doing it through spiritualism or, or magic or whatever. I'm doing it through like persuasion and stuff. And even that, is not really true when you get called up by Darren brown and i can't because i got called up on stage to do certain things and i can't give it away because it's not fair but even that was like no you're not he's not really using psychology he's using stage tricks which is which is a disappointment in itself
0: i mean that art of cold reading the the kind of the con man tricks that you can employ in this and um i you know i did a, a show called the bullshit detective for um uh, BBC Three, like uh, quite, quite a few years ago now, it's where I met Kieran O'Keefe, our expert on our show, actually, we did it together, you know, and, um, and, and for one of the things on that show, I had to um, pretend to be somebody who healed using crystals. And it was about looking at how the kind of the placebo effect works, you know, the kind of the, the power of the mind. And I, you know, had these people, these real punters coming in to me, seeing me as a crystal healer. And I would hold this crystal over them and they would talk I mean, they, they were there going like I'm feeling a sense of warmth you know I've got this hip injury this hip injury is feeling less bad now you've genuinely helped me here and the thing I was holding in my hand was not a crystal it was a Werther's original a sweet, and um <laughs> and it was entirely fake but because of my calming pattern the way I talked to them that you know the um you know, just the, 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 it was a way of sort of tricking somebody into making that they felt better. And, and I mean, I think that's a lot of what goes on in these situations that actually, you know, we're, we're being asked to like focus on our breathing. You know, like mediums will often talk to you about, you know, getting your breathing going, focusing on your breathing. As soon as we do that as human beings, we start to feel different because most of the day we're running around and not breathing properly. And if you ask somebody to calm down and go into a a certain space, it does have an impact. And I remember going on a ghost hunt and the medium telling me to walk out uh, with my hands in front of me and to really stretch out my hands. And if you do that right now, if you stretch out your fingers on your hands, you feel a tingling sensation. You know, I mean, I, I can feel it right now, a tingling sensation. And they yeah. were like, that, that's the ghost, you know, that you're walking towards a paranormal force, you can feel the tingling. And it's utter- utterly not. It's, you know, the, the physiological act <laughs> of stretching out your fingers. I am in no way saying that all mediums are employing these fake tactics and i think there are a lot of people out there who are not seeking to profit from what they're doing you know certainly people who are kind of part of the spiritualist movement they're not out there to earn money they're not doing it duplicitously there are often people bringing great comfort to people and i absolutely entertain the idea that they may genuinely be able to contact the dead i think you know i i'm not closed off to that at all i think you know that that's part of my journey of exploring the paranormal that you know it might be entirely possible for people to have conversations with the dead, but I do think that there is a huge amount of people within mediumship people who call themselves mediums who do employ those kind of tactics, I think, and I think there there is a lot of exploitation going on, and I remember seeing a video of Derek Akura channeling the hillsborough dead on his dvd and you know that that kind of stuff to me just feels horrible really and stuff where you're channeling people who there's a lot of stuff in the public domain about how they died and who they were and channeling them and claiming that you can contact them i i you know i i i find that difficult to watch for non Brits, the Hill- Hillsborough disaster was
1: just uh, a soccer football stadium where people were crushed to death, and it's a, uh, a really horrible thing. So yeah, it's taking advantage of of people, I believe. Danny, we haven't properly introduced you. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit and how you got into the paranormal? Yeah.
0: Well, so I'm Danny Robbins, and I I mean I, I was very flattered recently to be referred to as the UK's go-to ghost guy in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the London Evening Standard newspaper. That was nice. I mean, I, over the last few years, I've found myself talking about ghosts a lot. And it's something I've been obsessed by since I was a kid. I think it's always occupied this, this place of interest for me. And, and I, I, I've spoken about this on my podcast, but I think a lot of it stems from being brought up in a devoutly atheist household. I was brought up without any belief. My mum had been a Catholic and then she stopped being a Catholic and she became very ardently against religion and yet I would go to my grandparents and I would see you know these pictures of the Pope and you know Jesus holding his sacred heart on the wall staring down and um, and I was fascinated by it I think and I think you know some people would have gone into religion and found God and I found ghosts and ghosts became my thing that I was just interested in exploring and that idea that there was something more out there and then I guess all of the recent stuff for me kicks off from writing a play that is called 222, A Ghost Story, which is on in London's West End at the moment and is just about to open in Los Angeles. May have opened by the time this goes out, actually. It's opening on October 29th. Um, and, And it's a play about a couple where... The woman in the relationship believes that there is a ghost in their new house and the man refuses to believe in ghosts. He's an utter sceptic, arch-rationalist and won't believe. And it's about the impact it has on their relationship. And we count down to this moment where the ghost seems to appear every night, 222. And it's all about that tug between belief and scepticism. And when I was researching that, I just started asking around on social media about had anybody I know seen a ghost or had a ghost experience. And I started getting all of these fascinating stories coming in. So I did my first podcast, Haunted, about that, and and it kind of grew from there. And I made this show, The Battersea Poltergeist, which was um, about a, a real-life haunting in the 1950s that was just bizarre and terrifying. We told it over eight episodes using a mix of drama and documentary, and that became really big. It was the number one drama podcast around the world. And then Blumhouse, the Hollywood horror producers, came in and I'm developing it for TV with them now. And and you know, I made another series after that, Uncanny, looking at real-life paranormal experiences. So I guess I've sort of carved out this niche doing real-life ghost stories. So the, the, the kind of criteria of the stories I'm interested in are people who've had something that they think is paranormal happen to them and then trying to make sense of it, trying to explain it. And normally, these people are people who have been resolutely sceptic beforehand, have this bizarre thing happen to them, and it is life-changing and often terrifying.
1: I'd love for something like that to happen to me, because I am, like your family, I suppose, deeply atheistic and secular, but I love all the stories, right? And the stories are great. But I guess the thing is, with ghosts, they they always tend to be um, sort of gothic, Unless you'll tell me I'm wrong about that. But it seems to be, which happens to be the time period when it was really popular to write a, about them, right?
0: Uh, do you mean like Robert Smith Gothic, uh, like from The Cure? Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, or or <laughs> how, how are, we, are we talking like big, big-haired ghosts coming back? Emo.
1: <laughs> They're always emo ghosts.
0: No, well, they, you don't
1: get like caveman ghosts much, do you? Or like ghosts from like... Oh, maybe well, you do, but I, they tend to be Gothic from Henry James' Turn of the Screw. It's kind an interesting
0: of thing. one, actually. I mean, I, I think that's the, the traditional idea of ghosts I I think a lot of my ghosts don't fit that criteria at all I mean I'm often struck by how some of the most scary stories are the most mundane you know they take place in really real recognizable settings and I think um I, I yeah I don't know I mean I think we've got this vision of like Victorian ghosts turning up to haunt us and you know sometimes that is what happens people see a vision of a Victorian kid or something but um But no, I've had quite a lot of modern stories come my way. And I'm really interested in how tech plays a part in hauntings now as well. I think that increasingly in our modern age, it makes a lot of sense that if you were coming back to communicate with people after death, you would try and harness the technology that was the most important thing to you in life. You know, like all of us now are governed by our phones you could make a strong case that it's the most important object in our lives. In fact, the most important thing in our lives, you know, more than important than our family members. Sometimes I think, you know, we kind of choose to prioritize our phones over talking to, you know, our kids sometimes. And, um, you know, so it makes sense to come back and use that. So I'm really always gripped by stories that people send me where they feel like they're being haunted through, through tech, you know? Um, and it's something that we explore in my play, you know, like Alexa plays a role in our play, in the play. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I think we're reassessing. We're in a, in a period where we are less accepting of people saying they've seen a ghost, I think, you know. And I think one of the things that I explore in my shows is, is trying to remove the stigma of that. You know, somebody saying they've seen a ghost and, you know, people jump to conclusions. You know, are they mad? Are they making it up? Are they lying? And actually, what we try and do on the show is create this open minded space where we listen respectfully and kindly and we don't judge and then we try and explore it and for me the proudest thing about the whole nature of these shows is that this online community has sprung up around it uh, this hashtag of uncanny community and you get people who are total skeptics and total believers and they enjoy the stories in their own way because if you're a skeptic it's a how done it you know is it environmental factors is it psychological factors and if you're a believer it's who done it it's who was the ghost and you know it's a detective story whoever you are
1: yeah i'm hoping my listeners will feel the same way i'm sure there'll be a great mix of believers and skeptics but hopefully they'll enjoy the stories and as you say they're figuring out of what's going on anyway hey it's andrew On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? expressvpn.com slash heretics go to expressvpn.com
0: slash heretics to learn more but on your point about would you want to see a ghost though you said you want it to happen to you yes i mean i mean do do you is that that, that's the question because i have felt i've spent my entire life wanting to see a ghost but actually i think be careful what you wish for (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay well i don't i don't want to see a ghost that then like does one of those horror film things and like eats me or something and i'm really bad with that stuff i watched um i can't really watch scary films and i watched uh, that series a uh, haunt uh hill house oh, yeah, haunting yeah, yeah, of hill yeah, yeah. house the Bent Neck Lady.
0: Did you watch that? Oh my God, The Bent Neck Lady. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's proper scary. Oh my God, I, yeah, yeah. I can't, it's it's still in my head from like two years
1: ago and it, it haunts my dreams and I get sleep paralysis anyway. Oh um, And so then I'm <laughs> seeing The Bent Neck Lady and there was a bit, I think it was episode five or six and I think anyone who's watched it remember that she sort of, you see how The Bent ne- le- Neck Lady came to be and it was somebody sort of hanging themselves and they fall through a floor and another floor and another floor and then their neck crack. and that, just even now i'm getting tingly thinking. of it scares the hell out of me so so if that happens sometimes my girlfriend goes me at night or something to me to wind me up if that were to happen to me i don't know what i do but but a, a ghost who's like a, a casper the friendly ghost or but anything like that it would suggest there's an afterlife and i'm an atheist but if there were an afterlife what a lovely thought i'm not gonna uh, die in 30 years no
0: i'm with you on that yeah yeah and i'm totally with you on that i mean i think a huge part of why i'm interested is that sense of hope the, the I think the, the paradox at the heart of a ghost story of it being frightening and simultaneously f- full of hope. Yeah, I, I, I go along with you there. But I do know somebody who wanted to see a ghost his entire life and then when he felt he did see a ghost was carried out of the room insensible, terrified. And, you know, it was horrible for him, you know. And um, I, I don't know, I, it, it's a life-changing moment. And are you kind of prepared for that life-changing moment? Are you prepared to step from one concept of reality into another. It's the same thing as people who have these kind of religious conversions, you know, when you have a road to Damascus conversion, and you suddenly feel like God has spoken to you. um, You can't go back, you know, and um, I don't know, I, 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 yeah, I I sort of, I do feel like I've wanted to see one, but then I'm also a coward. And I feel quite nervous about that idea.
1: There's that feeling at night, isn't there? That and I, and that's when a lot of so when you talk about you know what could it be? Could it be a, a trick of the mind? It is scary, just especially waking up from a nightmare or a dream, and then you walk around for a bit, you go to the toilet or something, and just try and turn a light on. But you do, you know, that feeling you have for the next ten, twenty minutes. So I can imagine, like anything I saw, I might be more um, likely to believe it's something paranormal. Yeah,
0: I think it's really interesting. I think we all have we all have thresholds as well. Um, there, there's an academic. Um, his name, I'm going to forget now, but he wrote an interesting book where he was talking about um, how, when he does lectures, he holds up this cardigan. And um, do Americans say cardigan? Um, um, so what, what is woolly, a cardigan? Knitwear? A wo- woolly a woolly <laughs> item that you have a button or zip up down the middle. <laughs> um, I don't know what, what do you call that in America. I don't know, uh, but anyway, it's a, yeah. imagine. Americans, imagine a woolly <laughs> item that you zip up or button in the middle. I'm sure you have them. And, yes. um, and anyway, he holds this up and, he's at, and, he, and he tells people that this is the cardigan of Fred West, who was one of the most notorious serial killers in British history. And he asks if anybody will put this on and nobody ever wants to do it because they feel that somehow... This object has been imbued with this kind of talismanic evil. You know, that somehow, because it was worn and owned by a serial killer, if you put it on, you will somehow kind of imbibe some of that evil that it's, you know, it would be tempting fate. It's the sort of same sort of thing where you feel like, you know, if you do a Ouija board, you feel like, you know, you're opening the door by putting this item on, it's 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 wrong, it's evil. And then he reveals that, of course, it's not. It's just an ordinary cardigan slash woolly item with a zip-up button middle. Um and um and, you know, but it's it's incredible. We all have this threshold, however sceptic we are. I think we have a threshold of things that we won't do, that you could be a sceptic, but if somebody gives you the option of staying in the non-haunted room or the haunted room, you're going to go to the non-haunted room pretty much. You know, most people will. I think, you know, like all, all, I think all of us have a little point where we, you know, even, you know, I spoke to speak to so many people actually who say I'm a real sceptic and then just say one little thing which sort of betrays to me an openness to belief and I I think that actually all the stats about belief in ghosts are utterly wrong people talk about like a third of people believe in ghosts and I think it's just it's sort of just a little bit more in America than it is in Britain but I think you know I, I think it's wrong because I think the emails I get suggest that there are loads of people having experiences and loads of people open to believing in experiences and it's All of us have got skin in this game, haven't we? We all want to know what happens to us when we die. And it's the basis of all religions. It's the biggest question in the history of human existence. It's the thing you could start a conversation with in any home or pub or bar or bus anywhere in the world. You know, do ghosts exist and what happens to us after we die? And, and, you know, I, I just think that that's it's the it's the debate that keeps on giving.
1: Do you think about uh, the evolutionary psychology of this, why people in tribes might have, uh, those who carried a belief in the paranormal might have survived to pass on their genes better? Well,
0: I think the power of fear is incredibly important, isn't it, in terms of evolutionary psychology? I mean, like, we know that somebody else's fear could save our lives. You know, if you're in a situation where, you know, your friend sees the saber-toothed tiger before you do and their fear registers and you notice it you know you might get away they might get eaten um but um yeah i i think that um for, for me i think that ghost belief and i think you can see this from skeptic and believer points of view but ghost belief is a a buffer zone for us between life and death and it's sort of it's a comfort blanket for us i think you know the the idea of dying is scarier than any ghost story I think for me anyway the, the the idea of all of this amazing work of being a human being and living and loving and having relationships with many different people friends and partners and you know all the kind of communicating we do everything that we build up over our lives that that just stops and ceases is a horrible horrific thought and and I think you know the the idea Of that is truly bleak really and if we were sort of progressing towards death with that in mind it's just horrible and life feels pointless so I think ghost belief does make this kind of buffer zone and ease that blow and I think um, you know so so if you believe in ghosts and that that's a real comfort and I think if you don't believe in ghosts and you know that that Still, you know, if you, if you believe ghosts are a complete fabrication and, and an imagination created by humanity, then that is why we're doing it, I think. And I think there's a reason why ghosts haven't gone the way of elves and pixies and unicorns and many other things that people believed in the past but no longer do. I think, you know, I think we need them. You know, I think, you know, they are fundamentally a vital thing to humanity. And for me, the, the massive excitement of this is that it could be real i i love that idea i I, you know it's the thing that makes me get up in the morning the thing that compels me to make these programs the idea that we could prove that it is all real and that that the dead are out there somewhere i think you know god i mean that that just feels magical to me yeah i guess the difference with
1: elves and fairies is that ghosts are us and so that's a a, you know we want we want to continue the journey.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting people talk about um how ghost belief shifts age on age as we sort of see ourselves reflected back in the kind of ghosts we get. Roger Clark, um a really interesting writer, wrote a book about ghosts called An- A Natural History of Ghosts, worth reading if anyone's interested and He he talks about um you know how in the 18th century ghosts were mainly obsessed with essentially where the money was, you know, like, you know, wills and codicils on wills and, and, you know, where the inheritance had been left behind. And, um, you know, and then in the wake of the First World War, there's this kind of, um, you know, huge outpouring of grief, and it becomes very much about contacting your loved ones. I mean, I think prior to that in Victorian times, maybe it's a kind of, you know, ghosts tap, tap into the kind of exploratory investigative nature of the Victorian age, you know, it's like a party trick, they want to, contact famous people from the past that sort of thing but you know now i think you know like we live in an era of emoting you know and and um we've created this visual language of emotions emojis you know and, and we want ghosts to be you know finishing off emotional business we want to kind of you know talk to the, the people that we love and connect with and in, in a kind of very sort of you know heart to heart kind of way i think you know so i um yeah, and but also I think we live in an age of horror as well. And I think, you know, actually you're seeing a lot of the chaos and uncertainty and scary stuff reflected back in us. And I, I think, you know, I'm seeing like a, a lot of poltergeist reports coming in. And, you know, there you can draw links back to the huge boom of poltergeist reports before the Second World War. You know, you're seeing that kind of turbulence in society reflected by the kind of scary, violent ghost reports. You know, I mean, you you know you could write several... PhDs on this couldn't you? Yeah I had a psychologist
1: tell me uh, on the podcast that uh, you know we, we watch horror films and things like that as practice because our brain uh, gives us dopamine and so we enjoy them because we're actually looking to see like okay if something like this happens to me you know how can I uh, maneuver and how can I get around it but I want to I want to get onto your podcast your re- most recent one which I'll let you pronounce but in, in right at the beginning you say it took you to a place you never thought possible of believing in ghosts. So what's the story? What's going on? And how do you pronounce it? The,
0: the, the place where it happened? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It happens at a house called Hale Vanog. Um, the show's called The Witch Farm. And, um, and it, yeah, it, this is in the remote wilds of the Welsh mountains. You know, the, the kind of remote... Uh, the, probably one of the most remote parts of the UK really and these are beautiful amazing mountains it's a place where the nearest neighbour is half a mile away and it's about a couple called Liz and Bill Rich who uh, move into this old farmhouse in this area of Wales and they are with their Uh, Bill's teenage son and they have a baby that they've just had together and they basically want this little rural idyll cut off from the world and Bill's an artist, he wants to have time and space to paint and then really, really scary stuff starts happening and it's an incredible array of phenomena, there's poltergeist activity, there are apparitions, many, many apparitions seen by multiple people uh there is alleged possession there is physical injury seemingly inflicted on people and it's just it's really scary and really strange and i i've made this other series the battersea poltergeist um which i talked about which was about a case that lasted 12 years and felt genuinely bizarre and and i I say this in the podcast about how that took me to the very brink of believing that ghosts exist and i wanted something to push me over the edge (laughs) and is the witch farm this one and that's the journey we're on i guess but like with all my shows this is a kind of um you know this is a two-way conversation we're throwing this out to the audience and asking them to get involved join the investigation be armchair supernatural sleuths dig into this case because it's just fascinating and it's, it's got this backdrop of ancient Celtic history, stories of witchcraft in the area. Um, you know, there are stories about murders taking place there and all sorts of things to do with ley lines. And, you know, it's it's so rich. There's so much to dive into. And we tell it through this mixture of drama and documentaries, eight episodes. We use the drama to bring the original haunting to life. And it stars Joseph Fiennes, who people might know from The Handmaid's Tale and um, Shakespeare in Love. And Alexandra Roach, this really great up and coming Welsh actress, and then there's people like Rhys Shearsmith crops up who's in inside Number Nine and the League of Gentlemen, which people might know so yeah, you know it's um it's a roller coaster ride we've just launched it episode one came out on October seventeenth and it's coming out one a week and um yeah, I mean you know it's for me i you know we talked about Battersea poltergeist being britain's strangest ever haunting. I think this could be Britain's most terrifying haunting, really. Mm. I think that um, it it takes you to a very scary place. And the reason it takes you to that scary scary place is is because it's very real. You're talking about a very recognisable couple. They're just like us. And then these things happen to them. And you think if it happens to them, it could happen to me, you know, and we talked to the woman at the heart of it, Liz Rich, one, uh, one half of the couple. She's, peppered throughout the show talking about it and you know i challenge you to listen to her and not feel that her fear is entirely genuine and and you know what what happened that is the question we're asking
1: i, I love what you were saying before about um goes to sort of reflect the time period that that first i've only listened to the first episode because that's the only one that's out so far but uh it's it's funny that i mean particularly in the uk at the moment it's very topical is the electric bills. Um, and I'm 20 minutes down the road from Brecon Beacons. I'm in, I'm in Bristol. I guess it's half an hour, maybe. Uh, so I was really feeling it and thinking about it. We've had people out to come and check our electricity because it's just mad. Uh, it's just gone berserk. And that's just such a big thing at the moment. And the ghost, uh, sort of affects the electricity bills there.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it makes it feel very zeitgeisty. I don't think I'd kind of quite, quite <laughs> realized when we started on this case just how timely that would be but yeah i mean the the couple have this electricity bill that lands which is equivalent to eight thousand pounds a year and that is basically to give it context i mean you know like we're living through this unprecedented age in the uk at the moment of electricity bills going completely out of control and people being handed bills unlike anything that they've seen before but it probably is still you know probably four times even the sort of scary bills that are coming in. Now, you know, certainly at least double, double the kind of worst case scenarios, I would say. And, um, and so it seems unfathomable. And we did an experiment in the first episode, which you'll have heard about, about Proving just how impossible this was, using my wife and my washing machine. You didn't put her in it. <laughs> yeah, I did not Sounded like <laughs> it the way you said it. She was outside with you. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was safe. Don't worry. Um, but we ran it, and and just sort of to see how many hours you'd have to run your washing machine for to um, to rack up this kind of bill, and it is just insane and off the scale. Did the BBC cover? <laughs> did the BBC uh, cover did they my electricity <laughs> bill? No, I'll have to invoice them. But um uh yes yeah, so it, it's that makes it feel very real as well, and again it's like it's about how scary the mundane can be you know it's it's funny one of the stories I remember most that anybody sent me was about a guy who took off his jeans in his bedroom, getting ready for bed, put them down on the side, and then they just disappeared, and he never saw his jeans again, and it's one of those ones where you kind of go like it's so easy to dismiss, you go, well, it's just a pair of jeans, I mean you know but then you go like. How? How did that happen? Like you know, how did a pair of jeans that you put down <laughs> next to you disappear in an empty room with just you there, and you never saw them again? So I, I am quite hooked on those kind of mundane moments because they're they're in a way for me they're the easiest ones to get on board with. Because if you if you tell me that you've just seen a, a headless horseman, r- r- you know, ride through your house on a horse, I, I find it harder to make that imaginative leap. You know, it feels fantastical. It feels like the sort of stuff of storybooks. But if you tell me that a pair of jeans disappeared i'm like well god that that feels so unsettling you know that 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 makes you start to doubt the reality of your existence
1: christopher walken was in bristol recently filming that Stephen merchant series and he was the headless horseman so that seems quite real to me now but the (laughs) jeans thing i wonder if his wife um i wonder if his wife just hated those jeans and threw
0: them away lived alone yeah he was alone in the house alone in the house wonder what happened then na, 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 na. yeah
1: so this family in in Weyels, um they get ex. It's a, it's a true story isn't it oh very much so yeah 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 yeah. right and it, they get it's the most exercised house ever
0: yeah 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 they took regular exercise um it, it's um the house that had the most exorcisms in british history and um it is this parade of exorcists they have uh mediums and priests and baptist ministers and dowsers and all these different people have come into the house to try and sort out their problems and and um i mean spoiler alert it doesn't doesn't really solve the problems it's you know fascinating and terrifying but the problems keep on coming and keep on coming and it gets worse and worse and worse and scarier as the series goes on and um yeah, you know, it's it's such a rich case to dive into and there's so much for the sceptics to dive into about loneliness and remoteness and coldness and, you know, was there factors like, uh, you know, sort of carbon monoxide poisoning from their heater and, you know, like there's just loads of stuff you can look at this and yet the phenomena that happens is experienced by so many different people and it feels so compelling and convincing that it's, You know, I mean, the reason that we have so much to talk about with these cases and the reason that we're still talking about a case like the Enfield haunting or, you know, the Battersea haunting that I looked at is that there's enough in them to deflect easy answers. You know, they are robust enough to be sceptic proof. I think there is always something there that you feel is hard to find an answer for and and that, that feels that it throws up that possibility that, that, you know, that there, there is, there is a darkness, you know, that there is this place outside of the, the well lit uh, parameters of our, our explainable existence, you know, and, and that is what I'm always in search of those dark spots, you know, I I like to wander into the darkness. And I guess, you know, that, that kind of, that gray area where, where we're prepared to accept uncertainty, you know, like life, in general you know and certainly life as lived out on social media at the moment is about taking very black and white positions you know you you you're, you're against things or you're for things and you you love it or you hate it and you you dig your trench and you shout at the other side and and actually it's i think it's really refreshing to to say i don't know i'm not sure what the answer is and to be open minded and i think people have responded incredibly well to that and the kind of the safe space we've created through the social media discourse around the shows that you can agree to disagree, and you can say, "Maybe I might change my mind I mean that's such an underrated quality to be able to change your mind, and it's something that feels so hard to do generally in life at the moment, but you know i I've watched people go on that journey, I've watched some of the fans of the show shift their positions and actually say, "Well maybe." there is something here.
1: I love that. And that's what this podcast tries to deal with a lot of the time, the grey zone, the not knowing the between two extreme ideologies kinds of things. Did you know, Danny, that I've performed an exorcism?
0: My God, there you go. I I didn't, I didn't. Um, Tell me about that. I
1: was in Argentina doing a documentary for the BBC about an abusive exorcist who I believed was taking advantage of uh, the women that he exorcised. But as as part of the thing, I would do the exorcisms with him. So I rung the bells over people's heads and they would come in. It was usually young women and they came in and they said they had things like schizophrenia or intrusive thoughts and things like that. Um, And then afterwards they were immediately cured just completely better, um, which I put down to placebo, but uh, it was still really interesting.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating, isn't it? And I think it's impossible to underestimate the chicanery that could go on there. I think, you know, you could even imagine that these were people brought in as essentially actors to kind of pretend to be possessed and pretend to be okay they weren't they weren't Though like, i went
1: back a year later and visited them all in their their homes family homes and they were quite uh scathing then of the exorcist because the thing is like it gives you a placebo buzz for like six to twelve months but then uh you end up you know and so they end up going oh no i'm bad again because it's an underlying mental health issue um and then they um they want to go back or something you know and then the exorcist gets fed up with them and says like no i've helped you if you're not doing your part if you're if you're not better now and it's like well that doesn't make sense either you vanquished the demons or you didn't
0: that's really interesting really interesting and and there's this boom at the moment in exorcisms both within christianity and also within islamic uh communities as well um and i mean clearly the the um assumption you would make is that it's um about uh, you know uh, uh, dealing with people with mental health issues in in a way that is not really the best way to deal with them and inevitably in tough times tough economic times we're going to see a rise in mental health issues and um and you know maybe that's why you're also seeing this rise in exorcisms but I I think it's you know I've heard certain stories um whilst making my shows that do make my blood run cold about how particularly young people vulnerable young people and and you know teenagers often are are told that they are possessed and the impact that has on them i think is incredibly damaging yeah and and this um you know we reference this briefly in the battersea poltergeist series but there's this famous case the annalise michelle case do you know no about this one in in Germany in the 1970s, a girl called Annalise Michelle from a very religious family uh, who um, went through multiple exorcisms over quite a long period of time and died as a result of it. You know, she was kind of... She died of malnutrition, I think, was the the um official cause but you know she was basically fasting for these exorcisms and sort of punishing herself and praying constantly and it, it's a horrible story and i think the, the parents and the priests were taken to court about it but it, it serves as a cautionary tale about the, the damage that can be done when you convince somebody that they are possessed in that way it's the, the um basis for that film the Haunt is it called the haunting of emily rose or the uh, yes ex- Something the like exorcism that. Of Emily the exorcism
1: Rose, of Emily Rose, I think. Yeah. I never watched it because I can't. I can't. It just scares me to being in the room and doing it was scary as well. Even though I don't believe in that stuff, I was really finding myself uh, stressed. I think just seeing someone have a psychological breakdown in front of me, and I thought this person should be with a psychiatrist right now, not me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I find um, I've become a parent uh, in the last few years. You know, I've got two kids, and um, I find horror about the relationship between parents and kids really affecting now. Like I watched, um, Mike, I mean, we were talking about Mike Flanagan who did The Haunting of Hill House earlier, but you know, I watched a film he did uh, recently. Um, oh God, what's it called? The one about the mirror. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up one second. Um, uh, Is Oculus. Called, uh, Oculus. Oculus. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching the Mike Flanagan film Oculus um, the other day and, um, And it's about parents getting possessed. And I just found it sort of made me feel depressed and unsettled for the rest of that day. There's something about parents getting possessed or children getting possessed. It's just really sad. I mean, I guess or really anybody, like if you see somebody you love changing and shifting, I mean, it's why The Exorcist is so affecting, you know, seeing that shift, that personality shift is horrible. And it's what people who live with people with schizophrenia go through. Like my my um, wife's uncle has schizophrenia and, and, you know, his family watched him go from being this incredibly vibrant, lively teenager to being somebody who's lived in a kind of personal hell for the rest of his life. And it's incredibly sad, you know, and I think... You know that, that that the the exorcism is incredibly emotionally potent because you know it's parents trying to save their kids, often parents watching their kid go through some distressing and upsetting period in their life, and and feeling that you know if we throw this at it, we can help them, we can get them back, we can save them, and you know clearly mostly in incredibly religious families where they feel that the problem is that the child is not religious enough or that they have been. You know, visited by the devil or demons or jinn, whatever their personal belief is. You know, and so it, it, that—that's. I mean, it's just—it's really upsetting and it's really horrible. And it, and, it, and I would say, in one hundred percent of cases, an exorcism is not the way to help somebody. No. No, did you see that movie A Monster Calls? No, what's that about? Oh that's
1: that's the one that really got me. And that that's it's a it's almost like it's not a proper horror film, so I could watch it, but it's a bit you know, it's like a kid's horror film almost. It's about a kid and uh, I, I won't give it give it too much away except it's 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 very, very moving in in exactly the way you describe and the things he's that are happening to him are based on, you know, his relationship with his mother and stuff like that. Um
0: really really the other other film i would cite is the babadook um oh yeah 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 made by australian female filmmaker who um i think pulls off a a a masterstroke of um making you uncertain as to whether you this is all happening in the mind of the mother or actually happening and that was one of those films i found i had to watch in installments because it was so scary i was kind of like you know pause for a bit recover (laughs) go back into
1: babadook Bad, It's something like that. I think he keeps repeating "babadook." I can't remember. It was years ago. I watched it. That oh, was phenomenal. That film.
0: But again, I mean, this brings us to the thing that you know. For me, that the real is always going to be scarier, and I switch off. I, I lose interest when I watch horror movies that are driven by CGI visions of scary stuff. I, I just can't really go on that journey. I get very scared by the real, and I and I guess you know, I, I, I you know, we all sort of. Tr- chase adrenaline don't we and i guess the reason i'm making my shows is because i get these little adrenaline hits from listening to these stories and it's kind of what i would want to listen to myself and i just you know i just find there's nothing scarier than real people telling you they've seen scary stuff in a way that feels really real
1: do you have nightmares with all the stuff you hear about all the time
0: um i don't really i think i mean i have a sort of greater sort of existential nightmare about sort of fear of death and all that sort of thing, I think, and, that, and that which makes, you know, what I do feel sort of very kind of urgent and drives me on. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, people often ask me, you know, how much do you sort of take it home with you and does it unsettle you? I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I have moments where I'm working, in my shed late at night where I record everything where you sort of spook yourself out, you know, you're kind of putting together an episode and then you start to feel like you're kind of looking around. You feel this sense of presence. I had a had a really freaky moment the other day where I, I, um, I was actually recording a voice which was, there was a, one of the episodes we did. It was the summer special of Uncanny. And there was this demonic voice that was coming through a radio and, and I had to record it. And I was like trying to channel this kind of demonic sounding voice and going, like, <laughs> and I went into a kind of like trance like state as I was doing it. I think I didn't get enough oxygen in and felt a bit lightheaded and then I had this intense sense of presence. And I was convinced there was something in the corner looking at me. And I turned around and there was indeed somebody in the corner staring at me and it was the pop star Lily Allen who was on the poster for my play that she'd appeared in. She was in my play oh, last scary. summer and I've got a giant poster of it in my the, the back of my um, room. Um and and it was there but I really felt oh my god I jumped and and I totally saw how you can very quickly get yourself into quite a scary state of mind you know you can create all the kind of trappings of the haunting yourself you know if you if if um if you get yourself into a certain state of mind so um yeah I don't know I mean there are there are a lot of cases that I I do lie awake thinking about and, and I think like geez how the hell does it work and how how the hell can you explain it Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I I, I, I don't find that it's kind of poisoned my dreams. And I feel like I I contain the scares during the day, I think. I mean, my wife is totally scaredy cat. I mean, like, she just can't listen to any of the podcasts because she gets so affected by it. And it would throw her off for a whole week listening to one of my shows.
1: I get like, I get sleep paralysis right and then I'll, I'll wake up scared out of my mind you know because it like you stay in that state for a long time so it's like i have a minute where i can't move where I'm, I'm asleep and it scares the bejesus out of me and i'll wake up uh go about my day whatever and like days later i'll realize i'm still in the same dream that i never woke up uh and, and i still can't move and that is the scare it's only actually been 10 minutes you know but that, and then I get up, and then that, that Lily Allen thing you just said, there's nothing particularly scary about Lily Allen, of course, but just someone's face in a poster or like an armchair with a coat on it or something is absolutely just, just hearing you say that just gave me the, the creeps, more than a ghost story for some reason.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had sleep paralysis myself in the past, and I kind of live in fear of it happening again because it is one of the most horrible and terrifying things you can experience as a human being. Yeah. And um, I mean, if people have never had it, I mean, I, I find actually sometimes when I'm talking, to people about it they haven't even heard of it you know if you haven't experienced it i guess there's no reason to but it's that sensation of you know being unable to move your body and being kind of imprisoned in your own body when you wake up and the reason apparently behind this is um that your body kind of goes into lockdown when you sleep to stop you acting out your dreams it's a self-preservation thing that you know sleepwalking is when that goes wrong and um you know, it'd be very dangerous for you to get up and start walking around and go off. And so your body shuts down, locks you down, but then you can enter this state where your your brain gets confused and you've woken up and you are awake, but you can't move your body. You're still in that state. And you also get this sense of dreamlike stuff creeping in. So people often have auditory hallucinations. You hear your name being called or loud bangs. Uh, There's a thing called exploding head syndrome where you feel like you're Head has just exploded. Christ. People often have this sense of somebody sitting on their chest. You know, that's quite common. Yes. There's, there's um, you know, it's often, for, I don't know why, but often like an old man or an old woman. And there was this thing in medieval times, I think, talking about like hag riding, where you'd see like an old witch sitting on your, your chest. And people often felt this was a visitation from the devil. And it's linked to lots of reports of people being accused of being a witch. You know, like so-and-so sent this witch to sit on my chest or she came and sat on my chest in the night. So it is the stuff of nightmares and you can absolutely see how, I mean, you know, on one level, it is a haunting experience. You know, it, it, you are seeing a ghost. It's not a dead person. It's a thing from your mind, but, you, you know, it's very real. And, and so sometimes when you hear people describe haunting experiences they've had, you feel like you can explain it in those terms. And it doesn't make it any less frightening, but it, but it does mean that it's explainable in a scientific way. But, but then, obviously, you have the stories where that's not so easily explained, where people are witnessing these kind of things in the daytime or, you know, moments where we can verify that they are not asleep.
1: Like in The Witch Farm, I presume, as it goes oh, on. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, is, it is scary, <laughs> trust me.
1: Is it scary as a listening experience? Because the first episode wasn't too scary. Oh,
0: really? Oh, gosh, that's not what everyone else is saying. Uh, you, you must be made of stronger stuff um the feedback i'm getting is that people are being properly troubled by this okay
1: i I did listen at like double speed and i was like in very much a working mode so i'm like i'm working working making notes notes and questions but but i also like that there's a balance of like there's humor in there i laughed quite a few times
0: yeah i mean you know i think that's important i mean uh, you know my background is in comedy and i I, you know my play is very much about that mixture between comedy and horror and you know our tendency when we're scared is to want to then be able to laugh it off but also laughing lulls us into a full sense of security and then you can reach out and you can really scare people then um I I don't know I mean the feedback we're getting is that people are very scared by it and <laughs> that it's more scary than Battersea Poltergeist and um Ooh. uh so I mean that, that's the idea I think you know the power of a podcast is that you can get into people's heads and um you know you you can scare them in a different way to tv i mean i think you know tv you've got a greater array of scares at your disposal a greater palette of scares but i mean there's something total about the way you listen to a podcast you know you you can scroll and watch a tv program but you can't do that when you're listening to podcasts you need to totally listen and invest i think and and you also get people at these little intimate moments like where they're jogging or where they're sitting by themselves on the train commuting commuting to work or they're doing the washing up at the sink and it's it's a very intimate relationship i think that a, a podcaster has with their audience and um yeah i i mean you know i well i don't you know we we try and build soundscapes that that really work on people and really really scare them and um you know we we all react differently to different things don't we i mean i i don't get scared in the way my wife does at all i can watch a horror movie and not be traumatized by it and not be shaking by it. Um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe you and I are made a quite strong stuff in terms of horror and other people get properly affected by it. I went around to see a mate the other day and he was telling me about how he'd not been sleeping because he'd been listening to my shows. And, um, you know, you, you feel quite responsible. Then.
1: Yeah, I th- I, I, yeah, well, like I say, you know, when you're in work mode, it's different. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's same when I'm going out in documentaries and stuff. If there's a camera on me... I'm like I'm in work mode, and I don't get scared by the things around me as much. Whereas in real life, if it's just me doing a thing for me, I'm scared out of my mind. So I, I do scare quite easily. So I can see how that uh, the podcast can be really scary if you're sitting, especially in like a dark room or something, um, and books as well. I, I remember The Turn of the Screw by Henry James reading that at, like, university years ago, and that stuck with me even even now. And that's a weird horror because it doesn't really have, like, explosive horror like we have today. It's just sort of this weirdness lurking in a final line that just really um, unsettled me.
0: Yeah, I think there's always going to be certain things that land for you, aren't there? Like, you know, like somebody might be affected by the idea of children being haunted. Somebody might be affected by the idea of something lurking in the corner of your room. It's often things that that link into things we felt scared about as kids i think so much of fear is linked to when we were kids it's when we feel fear probably most viscerally most intensely and um and and you know i'm I'm always struck by the inability to forget scary stuff that happened to you as a kid you know like i i find i've not got a lot of memories of my childhood but i do remember the times when i was scared
1: what's the worst one
0: i think they were often moments where I saw fear in my parents you know there's one that really sticks in my head where my dad was driving the car with me and my mum and my brother in it and um, and he must have cut some motorcyclists off at some sort of junction or whatever he he did, did something where he you know he gave them a bit of a shock thought they were going to crash and then they started chasing us and they were these kind of big burly hell's angel kind of guys I think and they were chasing him and um and my dad was getting scared and scared her and scared her. and then eventually my mum sort of forced him to pull over and she sort of got out of the car and shouted at these guys that oh, we got kids in the back you know and you know like go away and you know then they went away but I remember feeling that real proper fear and sort of being a little bit out of control and obviously as a kid everything feels way worse anyway but I think it was a genuinely really scary moment Stuff like that really sticks with me. I think if your parents are scared that's the worst thing in the world because they're the people you look to to explain away all your fears. Yeah, that is really scary
1: actually. I know exactly what you mean. And I had one or two. I'm sure everyone has one or two of those feelings because it's so much it's it's like yeah, if they're scared they're the one pa- people you look up to as like your protectors and if they're scared then bloody hell. I've also started like looking at your screen and mine and just I don't know I've got cuz we're talking about it for so long now. I'm imagining like someone coming up behind one of us and how scary uh, that
0: might I, be. I was going to ask actually about who that man is behind you. Shut the up! Instead sort of Victorian clothing. Shut up! That's really scary. <laughs> oh, it's fun. He's gone now. He's he's gone. He's gone. He was only there for a short time.
1: Oh my god. I'm all red and sweaty from it.
0: He just—he just—he was there long enough to just mouth the words, "I will kill you all," and then he. I went, saw that.
1: <laughs> oh God! It's probably my neighbour, A bit of a nutter. I might I'll really, i really—you know what? I didn't even think about this when I asked you to come on, but I release this on um Halloween. Probably that sounds good, doesn't it?
0: Oh well, I would if I was you. Yeah, yeah, it's—it's it's, it's like my Christmas. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to be doing a, a Halloween listener along for the Witch Farm. We we did these listen alongs where. Everybody goes on Twitter and presses play at exactly 9pm and then all around the world people are listening simultaneously and commenting on Twitter and then we do a Twitter spaces discussion afterwards and it's it's been really fun, we've done them on all my podcasts now and it's, um, it's this brilliant moment that I would recommend to any podcaster in the world or anybody making anything in the world, that chance to watch people react to your stuff in real time is just amazing and so informative watching how people react to certain moments and having that sense of a shared experience, which we don't have much anymore, do we? We live in an era era of, you know, basically consuming all of our culture by ourselves when we want to, how we want to. And we don't, you know, there's not much that we sort of sit down and watch together on TV anymore. The occasional football match or, you know, the the Queen's funeral, you know, these kind of moments. But, um, you know, to, to bring people together and to have that bonding experience of listening or watching something together particularly post lockdown post everything we've been through has felt quite powerful actually and quite profound and and people have responded really really well to it and a kind of a sense of a club and a community has built up around the shows driven by those kind of moments
1: how did you come second in a uk air guitar competition and who, and who won
0: i i mean how did i come second i don't know we clearly should have won it um it, we, we were robbed <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, i i en- yeah i entered I, I used to have a i had a friend who was always convincing me to enter air guitar championships we did a couple i think we had an air guitar band called satan's underpants and we dressed up in a very kind of you know kind of eighties rock kind of way uh you know leopard print uh trousers and you know lots of tight leather uh crazy big wigs um and um yeah and we we did air guitar to fight for your right to party by the beastie boys um yeah, we were robbed. We should have won it. But uh, it was fun. It was fun. And um, it's, uh, it remains one of the proudest moments of my life, actually. I mean, I, I've got this kind of frustrated musician within me. I'm really unmusical. I'm so, so embarrassingly unmusical. But um, that was a way to kind of live out my rock star dreams
1: that's quite it's like a ghost it's the ghostly version of guitar i suppose and then what was this number 11 yeah,
0: totally it's, it's a ghost guitar
1: <laughs> you had a musical hit in the charts number 11
0: I, I did as well um i this is a funny one i mean i um my friend who i used to write with my old writing partner he was walking through a branch of hmv the music shop uh and he heard this track playing and he was like that voice is really familiar what is what is that from is that a sample from a film or something like that and and he was like, no, that's us, that's us and it was like, th- th- this DJ had sampled a sketch we'd written for a Channel 4 comedy programme and um, and we had to track him down, we had to kind of get our agents involved and we ended up signing this publishing contract with Warner Chapel Music um, and basically he was this garage DJ who'd sampled our comedy sketch uh, without realising where it came from, he, he'd sampled it off his friend's answer phone, his friend had put, <laughs> a, put the programme on his answer phone and, and um and he was really cross. He didn't want to share his royalties at all with us. Um, and he was on Top of the Pops, the big, you know, music program show on BBC. And, um, and we asked, like, could we come on with him? And he was like, no way. It was all a bit contentious. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's the high point of my, um, you know, it's the, the only moment I ever broke the charts. Uh, and it was a time when a number 11 hit counted for something as well, you know, and, um, and we did make a bit of money out of it we had a few thousand pounds each out of it oh that's a result the goal
1: of this guy to be annoyed that you got in touch he was just sampling your work for free then he's been caught red-handed
0: tell me about it and he was even claiming like there was a kind of like the odd ooh ooh rr ah, ah that he dropped into the song as well and he was trying to claim that every ooh ooh and rr ah, ah was a word so that actually our ah words our ah sample which was the only words in the song that he was trying to claim that was only a percentage of it because all the oos and rs ah, should count um yeah, you know, it was an interesting experience. What's the song? It was called Um I Don't Smoke. It's by DJ D. Klein, D-W-E-K-L-I-N-E. Um and um and it was a really big garage anthem at the time. It cropped up on all these garage compilations and you know, every so often I still see people talking about it. It was a, a track that people who were into garage really remember fondly. Um And, yeah, I mean, it just had this sample of our our sketch in it, really. And um, it's, um, yeah, it's it's funny, you know, you never know where your stuff is going to land up. You know, there's always that possibility that someone will find something and use it in a different context. And, I mean, I, I, I love that idea of recycling stuff. But, yeah, in that situation, it felt only right that he did uh share share his winnings basically
1: where can people where do you want to send
0: people to look at your stuff oh gosh well wow. through the portal into the afterlife <laughs> um i i i would encourage them to go to danny one b in robbins uh, that, that is the important thing if you're asking yourself two b's or not two b's that is a question it's it's one b um and um you can listen to my first show haunted i mean that's on all podcast platforms, that was the kind of the prototype, uh, then Battersea Poltergeist and uh, Uncanny and The Witch Farm are all on BBC Sounds but also on every everything else Spotify and Apple and all those sort of things um, you know The Witch Farm is coming out week by week at the moment so join the investigation and the the thing I always say is as well that I'm hungry for stories so if you've got a ghost story, if you've got an experience you want to talk to me about uh, send it to me you know and um, you can email me at danny at Um but also my play is on uh, 222 A Ghost Story it's on in London's West End at the moment and sort of indefinitely and um, and in LA if you're listening in, in the States come and see us in LA we open end of October run to early December and, um, and also my other show The Gunpowder Plot Immersive which tells the story of Guy Fawkes and the Gunpowder Plot is on at the Tower of London right now and it's this really exciting, immersive show which isn't about ghosts but sort of feels like it kind of has some of the same horror sensibilities. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're coming to London, you want to experience some live stuff, then do those shows or just kind of get on the podcast if you can it's very exciting
1: times danny robbins thank you for being on the edge i think that's your is that your assistant behind you with his head in his
0: hands (laughs) the headless one yeah yeah Yeah. i I employ a headless assistant i I find it works
1: Thank you, Danny Robbins, for gracing this podcast with your ethereal presence. Danny brightened up my Halloween, or darkened it, should I say. And if you feel the same, do support my guest by checking out his new podcast, The Witch Farm. And starting from there is a way to get into all of his spooky, scary works. Find him on social media and tell him you heard him here. I bet he'll like that. I'd like to extend a thank you to data analyst Joe Gates, who has been helping me with my YouTube channel, And also updating chapters and things like that to the videos. It's been a huge help. So, thank you. Joe. And you may have noticed a new beautiful logo in the last couple of weeks. Thank you to Rachel Horner, a creative designer and editor and all sorts of things for your help and suggestions in the design. I really love how it looks now. It's much, much improved. Find Rachel's brilliant work on rachelhorner.co.uk. She's a great designer. So get in touch if you need stuff doing. And thank you, all of you people for listening. You've been helping this podcast to grow and grow. Please do keep signing up on Patreon com slash andrew gold. A big thank you to newbies, Danielle Close, Kevin Hesketh. Mitsuko, Jason Taylor and Brian Hudson. Kevin's not really a newbie but he sort of fell off the edge and came back on it through some tech issues Um, but you're all helping to keep this thing afloat. It's been going for some time now so you've been very good at keeping it afloat I suppose. Not everyone can afford to contribute but what goes a long way is either telling a couple of friends to try the podcast and or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts as that attracts bigger guests to it. Here are some new reviews. It's five stars from slow slow low sloslow sorry in the United States new to podcast they write I'm new to this podcast starting with the Mike Rinder episode I truly enjoyed that episode so I'm scrolling down listening to additional episodes of interest I do like Andrew's calm approach to his guests and the topic being discussed yet still hitting on tough aspects of that issue a refreshing change to the American trend of confrontation and disregard we'll continue down the list of episodes thanks Andrew ah oh, well thank you very much Sloslo. That's a very nice um, comment. I hope you listened this far and heard me reading it out. Uh, author Zed well, not author, but it's the author of this review, was ZXXCB, and they wrote about the HG Tudor episode. Uh, They're from the US. They gave it four stars. Andrew, your guest's reply to your three-way suggestion was taken as sexual. This is about. I should just say, at the end, I said we should do a three-way with Doug Scott Kramer, the ex-scientologist, who also has been doing interviews with this narcissistic psychopath, or psychopathic narcissist, not sure which way, HG Tudor. Uh, And the, the review continues... When HG realised that wasn't your inference, he quickly turned it for a not-interested reply. What a pathetic existence, always using, never revealing, and knowing true love other than just self-admiration. Well done, Andrew. Fan Albuquerque, which might be Albuquerque. I think it is, because NM then, New Mexico. Thank you very much, Fan from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I think he does want to do the three-way podcast, but not the three-way sexual podcast thing i'm not entirely sure though so good point uh, and thank you for the review five stars came from hammock 123 fantabulously interesting they write in the united states a wonderful and diverse podcast andrew keeps one on the edge to see who his next guest will be an interesting conversation that will transpire thank you for providing something more than a typical show keep up the great work finding compelling guests oh thank you hammock and i i agree that you know that is what i'm going for trying to keep you guessing with weird and wonderful guests different kinds Kinds of things. And then the last review comes from Germany, somebody called Charlie Freen who wrote, poor, really poor, one star, really poor interviewer, lets guests spread fake news that goes unchallenged. Thank you for that, Charlie Freen in Germany. They are not happy. I left that bad one for the end to give those of you who do enjoy this podcast a nagging feeling that you must set wrongs right. If you listened this far, I thank you dearly and hope to see you next time when my guest will be Isaac Arthur extrapolating on all sorts of weird sci-fi possibilities for the future of the world. I'll see you then.